I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. Among the consequences of the coming of open banking, the next stage in transformation for digital payments. Account-to-account payments platform NurPay was acquired by EML Payments last year. Brian Hanrahan, Chief Executive Officer of NurPay, talks about how we got here and where the next steps in payments will take us. But first, do you want to access the $10 billion Middle East fintech opportunity? If the answer is yes, then join the Cedar IBSI Fintech Lab and fast-track your journey of market expansion to the GCC with us. As a Fintech Lab member, you'll have access to skilled mentors and have the opportunity to learn, network, and collaborate with like-minded individuals, building your knowledge base, skills, and connections. Visit www.cedaribsifintechlab.com. Now, back to our conversation with Brian Hanrahan, CEO of NuaPay. Digitalization of payments, um, and I'm primarily thinking here uh, about the um, you know, consumer to business payment space. A lot of that change has been driven off the back of card rails behind the scenes or underpinning it. And that's fine. You know, that's kind of brought us to a certain point. It allowed for some levels of e-commerce to exist and cross-regional payments. If you go on holidays in Thailand, you can probably use your card, Visa card or MasterCard in a lot of places. So it's it's definitely serves a, a purpose and has brought us quite far along the journey. But the card infrastructure is, you know, something that was designed kind of 50, 60 years ago. And it has a design that reflects that. The kind of proprietary nature of the schemes, branded approach, the you know, high levels of costs and, uh, you know, um, relatively little uh, competition. You know, all of those things are kind of characteristics of the way they've evolved. So, you know, along came things like open banking um, and account to account payments, instant payments, which were driven by a desire for there to be more competition and more innovation in the space. So they kind of allow more people come in, allow um, merchants to shop around more actively, allow consumers to have more choice and maybe move money faster for the benefit of everybody rather than just a couple of private companies. That's the, um, the the nature of the change here. You know, it's open up the market to competition. It allows us to be much more real time. It also centers the kind of form factor on a digital environment. So, you know, whereas a card payment, even if it is embedded in a wallet like Apple Pay, in the end, it's kind of anchored in a piece of piece of plastic with 16 numbers printed on top of it. Open banking payments are digitally native, they're mobile native. Um, so they kind of naturally were built and designed to work on your phone with biometric authentication. There's no data. Your bank account numbers aren't being passed around all over the world. It's just moving the money in a very secure design. So, so I think it's just an acceleration opening up. The interesting thing to me there in what you said is just a phrase I'm going to repeat back to you, consumer to business. Everything we've seen so far has very much been concentrated on that area. It's been all about the individual consumer, whereas perhaps the full range, and you began to touch upon it, the full range of the potential of open banking is when you get into the business to business space. And that's not just big business, it's all businesses. 
Yeah, that, that's a good point. And it's true. We tend to kind of talk a lot about the consumer to business part because it's what everybody can relate to. But, you know, we are definitely seeing strong demand and really interesting use cases in the B2B space as well. So, for example, supplier payments, you know, finance arrangements, companies doing their payroll using instant payments rather than batch payments. You know, so we operate in a, in a number of different parts of the market. It's probably just that the, the consumer space is, is the best known. Um, so we tend to talk about it and uh, more generally and then you know our, our approach tends to be that you know in some payments and account to account work at their best when they're kind of embedded inside a business application so if you're a, a b2b situation the best thing for us to do is integrate the payment experience inside the erp or the payroll package or the supplier management account receivable account payable package and then let it do the lifting rather than people kind of what we call swivel chairing over to internet banking and typing in stuff. You know, you can keep it in your ERP and you just do it in there. That's when we get really compelling use cases. And we do a lot of that kind of work, you know, so the API enablement of payments, the embedding of payments into other systems so that people can do it where they want to rather than where the bank wants them to. That's one of the nice things about account to accounts and, and the way this is changing is because fintechs like us are kind of happy to work with customers in the way they want, whereas the banks have kind of typically taken a fairly take it or leave it approach. And you're right, that's even more important in the B2B part. Well, let's take an example or one potential example of the opportunities for business. Faster payroll systems, significance of faster payroll systems, and what does that mean? How does that address the needs of a global workforce? It's an area that we've had some really interesting success actually in, um, you know, in recent years. So like traditionally, um, you, you and me probably get paid once a month um, in a kind of a salary type model, right? So most people still do. And the employer sends the money, you know, one or two days in advance into the system and it comes out the other end, um, you know, in, in the sense of the file exchange. So that, that's been the way payroll has worked for decades. The economy is moving more towards a, a gig economy. You know, you also have um, a lot more kind of variation and flexibility in the environment, right? So if you are a gig economy worker, you might want to get paid at the end of the day or the end of the task. You know, so you might be getting paid several times a week and you want to get paid instantly. You know, you're not really wait, willing to wait for your employer to, you know, till the end of the of the month. So that obviously you know, ties in really nicely with instant payments or faster payments. It also means that you really want to be API enabled because the platforms that manage those employees tend to be quite technically advanced and they need to operate on a kind of a real-time basis. So they don't really like to use the legacy batch rails. That's, you know, one of the really nice use cases we've seen recently. And look, we're we're happy to work with people in both models. You know, we do the traditional, you know, multi-day credit transfers, so like the BACs and SEPA classic um, environment, but we can also support them in that, you know, instant faster payments or SEPA instant, et cetera, environment. So, you know, it's not the majority of the workforce yet, but it's a growing percentage. If you're a science fiction nerd like me, I remember reading stories, I'm going to admit decades ago now, about what we would describe as e-commerce platforms where jobs were advertised and gig economy workers bid for jobs and were paid project by project. And this seems to be exactly what you're describing. That's exactly the trend. You know, we're, we're seeing more and more of that. And even people actually, it's interesting to see um, even the people who are on a subscription, sorry, a regular salaried you know, monthly approach, a traditional approach, 
um, more and more employers are now starting to kind of compete for employees. They want to be able to recruit the best and retain the best. So they're starting to offer something called kind of on-demand pay. So um, let's say you might be, okay, you know, we're on the seventh of the month at the moment. You know, um, let's just say a, a boiler breaks down or you have some unexpected expense. Rather than you borrowing for that, more and more employers are allowing you to draw down the days you've worked already. So you're halfway through the month, but I now need the the last seven days of, of my income. And you just click a button and then they deliver the seven days now and they deliver the rest of the month at the end of the month. It's quite a nice kind of employee retention and, and, and perk and that some of the bigger employers are starting to do. And you just need to, you know, you, you adapt to the uh, the the future, as you say, um, and, uh, and, and that's what's possible now. Speaking of the future, obviously, we've had a glimpse of something of the future of open banking in the UK with the JROC Open Banking Roadmap, which is the next step. What's interesting about the UK, of course, is that it's been a regulatory push that has created open banking, and it's been a regulatory push for open banking for consumers, which is one reason why we all talk about consumers and open banking, and we're only now starting to talk about business. But let's look at that future. Let's look at the roadmap, particularly in payments. What's it going to mean for the greater adoption of VRPs, variable recurring payments? And what's the significance there? JROC is something that we should all welcome. You know, it's great to see that the regulators and government are really, you know, looking for ways to advance this, you know, this change. It's produced something and it has valid recommendations it's good for the market to progress them on the specific point of variable recurring payments vrp we have a maybe a more skeptical is that the right word but like we, we, we just we have a little bit of a concern here that what, what jrock have set out is is really just an ingredient in the in what's required it's nice to have some momentum and focus on the topic but you know they've really left it to the market to resolve the issue right so the, the question remains you know how much are banks going to charge for access to VRP? You know the the framework around liabilities and so on. It does unfortunately look like the uh, outcome here is going to be that because the banks control the um, progression of, of VRP or not for commercial use cases, and they you know obviously have a lot of incentive to try to defend the card interchange incomes that they're generating at the moment. It doesn't look like VRP is going to be any better priced than card on, you know, card on file. And then you would have to wonder, well, will merchants adopt it in that case? If we're trying to create competition and innovation, that, you know, unfortunately, uh, one of the important ingredients in that uh, would be a commercial advantage or, you know, maybe some other advantages. If they're going to kind of take those away, then, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about VRP. Now, I still think it has. Has potential. I think it's it's perfectly fine for the industry to need to negotiate um, these things and have some kind of you know risk reward sharing. But you know, uh, unfortunately, I'm not overly optimistic that everyone has the right incentives, and, and and that's the question. I would say, like for us, you know, we think you know when VRP comes, that'll be great, and hopefully, we can use it for you know uh, for for a wide set of uh, use cases. But you know, if if we can't, there have been ways discovered to use open banking to kind of turbocharge more traditional payment rails. So, you know, what we've kind of done, for example, is we've taken open banking to build a more secure way to sign up for direct debits. 
Um, and the direct debit rails are ubiquitous. You've got 100% population coverage, basically the costs and the liability models are very clear and understood um, and reasonable for all the parties. So you can kind of maybe take some of the advantages of open banking with terms of security and real-time authentication and then put it back onto the other account account rails, which are sometimes a bit more efficient. We have this brave new world coming at us of faster payments, immediate instant payments. I'm probably a little bit concerned about all that because I think some friction in the process is not a bad thing. You want some think time occasionally when you make a payment to make sure that you've got it right. And that's as true for a consumer as it is for a big business. I think that's that, that's valid. And in the kind of the customer experience layer, you know, that that is where that should sit. I don't think you want to slow down the whole ecosystem because, you know, some people need to go through extra checks on the periphery. That's how I would think about it, right? So it is absolutely appropriate that payers understand what they're doing. You know, ideally, you want to take away what we're doing at the moment is, you know, it's pretty old school, right? You know, we're typing in account numbers or IBANs, we're copying and pasting numbers across to send you money. All of that's fraught with risk and errors and security problems and all kinds of stuff, right? So like the way we move away from that is, you know, we use these new mechanisms, right? So open banking takes that away. You, the consumer doesn't need to find out you know, or to, to, to know um, what your account number is to send you money. There's uh, there's an automation uh, of, of that or request to pay, for example. You know, you can be sent the message by your supplier, you know, um, and you will be confident that the money will always go to the right place and always be referenced appropriately. So, you know, like I think you can add in mechanisms that de-risk, you know, these processes. In terms of you know, friction, like security is is very present in open banking payments. So it's not as if it, you know, uh, it disappears. You go through the same internet banking security or mobile banking security that you would if you were logging into your mobile banking app built into the flow. And I would say that, that because it is native to that environment, you know, the open banking journey is probably a, a little bit less frictionful than the equivalent on trying to retrofit digital security onto credit cards you know or or debit cards because in that case you're getting sms's off your mobile app and you're going into different places and so on so there's a there's a difference between having the appropriate level of checks and balances and just a frustration and inconvenience which can sometimes just lead to more problems brian hanrahan chief executive officer of newer pay